I love the prophetic. I had actually Bob Haslett gave me a great word uh, about two years ago, and I love him. He wrote a book about heaven. The man is, um, he's one of the most clear personal prophetic uh, people that I've, that I've ever encountered. Um, but he gave me a word, and he said, um, he said, you know, you've made a place for the prophetic in this city. And, um, and he said, it's like um, Elisha and how the widow made a place for Elisha to come and built a room on her house so that he would have a place to visit. And he said, that's what you've done. You've, you've made a room for the prophetic, and you value the prophetic which I do, you know, I really do. I think um, hearing the voice of the Lord is so critical for today, and it awakens people to um, who he is and and, uh, causes all of us to burn brighter. So um, this morning I want to take a second and I want to show you some pictures from our Honduras trip. Um, We had a wonderful time. Um, It was was incredible. Uh, The Chapmans, I went with the Chapman family. Would you guys stand up? Do you mind? Um, We had such a good time. And then Lisa Blicker. Where's Lisa? Lisa, where are you? I can't see because the lights are so bright. Oh, there's Lisa. Now, I want you just to look at Lisa. Here she is, this little bitty cute blonde girl down with all the Hondurans and and the Chapmans. And Amy, Amy, where are you? Stand up. Okay, this is Amy Cordero. Okay. So we all go down there, and Anne-Marie, of course, Anne-Marie, stand up. I'm not going to forget you, Anne-Marie. So we all go down there, me and John and Samuel and this team, and we just had an incredible time in the Lord, and I wanted you all to be so encouraged because we went down there as storehouse. Wherever we go, we represent all of us because we're all one big family, and we all carry DNA, and we go deposit that DNA where we go. And so it was such a good time. Amy didn't know it. She thought she was just going to be, you know, like worship leader, and so did I. She was going to go down and train them in the prophetic and uh, how to worship in the prophetic. But it turns out she was my personal um, um, interpreter. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, So it was me and Amy everywhere we went. And then the Chapmans were loving on the orphans, and, and it was just so precious. And it's so interesting how all of us were flowing in our gifts. So it was really a lot of fun, but I wanted to show you a couple of pictures because a lot of you have sewn financially into this ministry, um, uh, Lisa's ministry, which is called Mamas in Catacombas. And I want to brag on Lisa for a minute. Where are you? You disappeared again, woman. Okay. Can you? <laughs> all right. It's awesome. And that's all that she does when we're down there. Okay. So Lisa has a ministry called um, Mamas of Catacombas. And Lisa went to Catacombas, Honduras as um, just a woman with a dream, okay, and um, just a sweet, precious woman with a dream, and she began with one um, uh, single mother. Was she a prostitute, Lisa? Yes. Okay, so she just started with this one uh, woman who uh, was a prostitute, and she just began to love her. And and as she was loving her, the Lord began to show her how she could help her. And so she began to um, help these single um, women, these single mothers, begin to have jobs. And so she began to set up things that they could do. So she got them sewing machines. And I'm not talking about sewing machines like we know sewing machines. I'm talking about sewing machines that don't 
have electricity, and you have to push the pedal to make it go. And so she started coming up with all of these designs and things that they could make and things that they could sell and things that they could cook and they could sell in the marketplace. And so she began all of these businesses for these single mothers. It's just so brilliant. And so all of these women began to have hope, and they began to have um, identity. They began to see that there was hope for their future and that they weren't going to die, you know, and that they didn't have to sell themselves into prostitution. There was a better way. And so it was just so precious. And then um, then she began to adopt um, the, the poorest of the poorest of the poor and the dangerous of the most dangerous communities in Catacombas. And so all of these communities and all of these people have all been blessed by her. And through that, the government officials begin to take notice of who this, who is this little blonde woman that's walking around and changing our city? <laughs> we don't know her. And so then she began to establish friendships with them. And, and they were all like, you are just light. You're just so salty. You're just so light. And, and so she just threw her love and, and through taking people out of the ditch through her love, she just began to lift the whole city up. And, and she just created now these worship nights, which um, we are sponsoring, by the way, um, these wonderful worship nights where the poor can come and, and bring their friends. And she's busing them in because they can't get there on their own. And we had an, an incredible time in the Lord. So why don't we, um, why don't we take a look? Um, do you have the pictures, Amory? All right, this was the night of worship, and it was just so phenomenal. And what was crazy is that uh, about an hour before this, the, the grid went down in the whole state. And so we had no lights, and we had no, we're like, well, we have a worship night, but, you know, I don't think, an, you know, that acapella thing is going to really work because there's so many people, and it's such a big um, type situation. And... Uh, so all of these Honduran men just got on the phone and they be called, began to call around for, for um, um, what are those things called? Generators. And so they, they, they were putting all these things together and all of these cords and, you know, I mean, I've never seen so much, you know, um, um, chutzpah in all my life. I mean, these just guys just got it done and it was remarkable. And so it ended up where uh, some of the, the male pastors who, who are very robust in their voices, I mean, like, they pray and, I mean, the earth shakes. And, you know, and so it's me and Lisa and, and Amy, and we're up there and we're preaching and everything. And we were just going to, I was just going to preach the gospel, you know, and I wasn't going to actually pray for the sick or, or do the altar call. But it turns out that we actually, the, the women got to run the whole thing because their voices would have shut down the whole system because it, it took too much amps to carry their voice. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. So we just got her done, didn't we, honey? And I mean, there were so many salvations, so many healings. It was just such a glorious time in the Lord. And so I just want to thank you for sowing into that and sponsoring it. Okay, next. Oh, and I got to be on TV. That's so weird, you know? I mean, you go to Honduras and all of a sudden you're standing there next to Carlos, who was interviewing us and um, wanting to know all about the event that we were going to be having. But it was a great opportunity just to preach the gospel, and I love what Lisa said. Lisa said that she's like someone that plays football, and she just waits for there to be a hole in the line, and when she sees the hole in the line, she runs through it, 
and she, she makes an advance for the kingdom. And so we just had so many holes in the line and, and, and I got to preach the gospel over the whole city and, um, and prophesy over the whole city on TV. Isn't God good or what? Ah! Now that's having fun. All right. And then we just loved on a lot of the mothers and we got to prophesy over them and just really speak life. And, and words of knowledge were just flowing. It was tremendous. And then um, John and his father's heart. And then Amy. Amy was like a baby magnet. Wherever we would go, she wouldn't even say anything, but it's like all of a sudden the children would gather to her. And I was like, this is remarkable how God made you. Anyway, they all just adored her. Um, okay, next. That's all you got. Okay, well, well, okay. Um <clears throat> All right, I guess I'm done. <laughs> so we had a great time. Can we all just uh, turn around for a minute and extend your hand to my precious friend and apostle, Lisa. And I just declare over you that Honduras will be saved. Honduras will be saved. Honduras will be saved. And I just declare that you will walk, you will run, you will fly, and nothing, nothing will hold you back in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Man, it's good to have a house full of firebrands, isn't it? I want to change the world, don't you? All right, so I want to um, preach this morning about um, standard bearers and what it is to be standard bearers. And uh, I want to make sure that I communicate my heart correctly uh, this morning, and, and you really hear the fullness of my heart, because I come to you with the greatest amount of love and grace and mercy and kindness. But at the same time, I really I felt like I've been carrying this message um, from some things that I've been seeing in the church that have really been weighing on my heart. And um, so I want to talk to you about what a standard bearer is. Um, the dictionary says that standard bearer is a leader of an organization, a movement, or a political party. A standard bearer sets the tone, the rhythm, and the pace for movements. It's like a gold standard. You know how you see the gold standard. And so the standard is something that is the highest of heights. And, and what it does is it establishes the, the rhythm of excellence for whatever organization that it is a part of. And for us, we have a standard, and the standard is the Word of God. And it is the most excellent source of life for us to live while we are on the earth. And I got saved <clears throat> not through, um, you know, the Word of God. I got saved through a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I got saved through the most remarkable uh, way, and, and um, not a lot of people have had that experience, and so I've always been, I'm so leaning towards a very mystical, prophetic, that's how I got saved, that's how I live, you guys should see my dream book, you know, I mean, of all the prophecies and the dreams, it's just incredible, so I value the things of the Spirit, and, and, but, I, but, the, but the things of the Word are, are so important to me because 
One without the other creates a bride that can't run. Because uh, as, as Reinhard Bonnke said, um, if, if, have you ever tried to run on one foot? Well, you can't. One-legged runner is, is probably the guy that's going to lose the race. And so I wanted to talk about being a standard bearer this morning and, and, be, and, and, and being people of the spirit and being people of the word. Because what I see is a condition in the church that is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, it's interesting if you look at the, at the, at the church and, 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 and how you see man incorrectly bringing the, 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 what God is pouring out. So God pours out the word, the correction of the word, Martin Luther. So you see uh, the ministry of the word, and you see it, how sometimes it, it got into error, and it got into the law, and it got into religion, and it became a heavy yoke. And then you see with the outpouring and the reintroduction of the Zusa Street situation, you see an outpouring of the Spirit. And all of us trying to kind of go, well, wait a minute, what is this actually going to look like? Because it's wild. It is wild. It is amazing. It is, it's wildfire, you know. He said, listen, here's the thing about my Spirit. You're not going to know where it's going or where it comes from because it is led by God, you know? And so it's like, how do you navigate this in a way that we stay between these two ditches? And I look at the things in, in America, and, um, and I, I look at the culture and what's happening to the culture, and, and for me as a leader in the church, it genuinely breaks my heart. Because I realize that when I stand before God, he's going to say, what did you do in the hour that you lived? Because he's not going to hold Obama responsible. I mean, he is, but it's really the church he's going to hold responsible and accountable. Because we're the ones that are culture changers, not the political system. In fact, every single time that there was a shift and a transition in God's church, historically, it was always when you had a, a demonized leader, political leader. It was never when you had, like, you know, um, Billy Graham as president. Because it's our responsibility to set the tone. It's our responsibility to vote righteousness. It's our responsibility to, to set the standard for the world. But we, we, bought, we bought into this lie that we need to look like the world in order to win the world. That if we just are cool, then they'll like us. And they'll see Jesus as being cool. Well, I don't know about you, but my Bible, Jesus wasn't very cool. The disciples weren't very cool. They, they were killing them. They killed them because they were like, you don't look like us. I didn't see John the Baptist wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> Man, that dude was so irre irrelevant. It was like, dude, you need to put on some clothes, okay? 
Those locusts you're eating are really gross, okay? You need to get some sushi fast. But these guys were laid down levers. And listen, I'm not, I'm not, that's, I'm just being funny, okay? I'm wearing a pair of skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened is that they set a standard when they lived, and by their lives, their lives were a standard of how to live. They, their standard was heaven's standard. It wasn't earth's standard. And in fact, I love what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, you know, all of you went out to see him. All of you. Can you imagine an entire city of Dallas going out to a place that doesn't have, like, vending machines or, you know, and it's a three-day walk for us. And there's no chocolate bars along the way. And there's, you know, nothing to eat out there but those bugs that he's eating. But yet all of Dallas would go out and see him. He said, you didn't go out to see a reed that was shaken, but you went out to see a bright and shining light. And he said, church, we're called to be salt. We're called to be salty. We're called to bring flavor to the earth so that the earth would look like heaven. That the, the flavor that we carry is heavenly flavor. It's heavenly spices. And then the earth begins to reflect the beauty of God because uh, God, when he, when he, when he, you know, when Jesus did his first miracle, he did it at, at the, at the uh, wedding feast, right? Now, I want to challenge us because this was a party, but this was a party with purpose. This was a celebration that was a wedding. It was a wedding feast. And he said, listen, I started this out with a wedding, and it's going to end with a wedding. It, and I came, and my first miracle was a wedding. And he said, I have come to bring you wine. I have come to bring you wine. And Paul said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I have a wine that's going to give you everything you need. And I'm telling you, it is time that we begin as church to trade up to a higher standard. Because Jesus didn't come so that we could be bored. Jesus didn't come so that we wouldn't have freedom because he said, I've come to set the captives free from the things you think you need to satisfy you that you would trade up to something that is true satisfaction. So I, I, um, I have to tell you a great story. So I was on a, I was on a plane and, um, and I was really tired. And I was thinking to myself, oh, man, it'd be great to get a beer on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen to my heart. I, I, I'm not talking legalistic. I'm not talking. I have a glass of wine. My husband and I drink wine. We love wine, okay? I don't have an issue with that. But what I have an issue with is when, when my lifestyle becomes more like the world than like heaven. You hear what I'm saying? 
I mean, I mean, I want to be a standard bearer. And so on this particular plane ride, what I did is I, um, I forgot my bag, my carry-on. I've never done that. I forgot my carry-on. And I thought, Lord, what are you doing? Oh, my goodness. So I have to go back up the, the runway or that walkway and get my carry-on. They're just sitting there. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to think it's a bomb. And so I'm like, no, 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 it's mine. <laughs> so I get it, I bring it back, and I'm the last one on the plane. And then, you know, it's Southwest Airlines, and so everybody's just packed in that place. And, um, and I finally find a place, and it's, it's in the middle. I hate that middle seat. But it's so the Lord, because I would have chosen, you know, had I been the first on, I would have been the first on. And, and you know when you're the first person in the seat, you don't actually have to pay much attention to the people that sit next to you when they are the second to sit down? I mean, it's just kind of human nature. But anyway, so I was the last one in the seat. And so when I start to get into the seat, I see this wonderful um, African-American woman, just bright-eyed, and, and then a, a man sitting in the aisle. And so there I am. I'm going to be squeezed right in between them. And I'm like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And, and so I said to her, oh, you saved me a seat. <laughs> and she's like, do I know you? <laughs> and so I sat down, and I said, um, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. You guys know where I am. And, um, and so I said, Holy Spirit, um, tell me about this woman. So the Holy Spirit comes, and I get filled to the brim. And so I said to this girl, I said, um, I see that you're an opera singer. And she goes, won't. And she's got the biggest eyes I've ever seen. And her eyes just went, pop. How'd you know that? And I said, well, the Holy Spirit told me that you're an opera singer. And she said, I, I, I am. And she tells me where she goes to school, blah, 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 blah. So it gave me an opportunity to prophesy over her, okay? So I get filled up the Holy Spirit or the holy wine, okay? Because here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Why do we drink wine, okay? We need to relax, Holy Spirit. And, and it also causes us to be um, brave. It brings down all our inhibitions, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I can conquer the world, right? Uh, you know, but with the Holy Spirit, you don't have a hangover. And, uh, and ladies, you don't gain weight, okay? Um, so anyway, so I start talking to her, prophesying, 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 and she's like, who are you? What is happening right now? And so gives me an opportunity to witness to her. So the guy next to me, um, he's an atheist, and um, so I start talking to him and just engaging with him, and he starts telling me his story. You know what happens when you sit next to people, and they sit next to the Holy Ghost, right? It's like all of a sudden, you know, they are spilling and telling you the deep secrets of their heart, and they keep saying, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm crying. <laughs> so so um, it's just a great time in the Lord. And so I'm just, uh, you know, I realized I've stepped into something. Um, and, uh, and so we're talking, and, and this baby, like two rows up, this baby is like, I don't know, maybe 10 months old, and this baby is at the top of its lungs, you know, and I'm thinking, I cannot prophesy with that baby making all that noise. And so I said to this man, I'm trying to talk to him, and I'm having to talk really loud because I'm having to talk over the baby, and I said, you want to see something cool? And he goes, yeah. And this, uh, and this uh, black girl next to me goes, yeah, I want to see something cool. And I said, I'm going to pray, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to go over there and silence that baby. They're like, okay, right, whatever. <laughs> So I'm thinking to myself, oh, Shandala Bahala This better work. So I said, Holy Spirit, 
you send your peace over and quiet that baby and give peace to that mother. And so the baby goes, and this African-American girl, I'm telling you, I thought her eyeballs were going to go like that cartoon character, like, boing, boing. That did not just happen. That, that, that baby stopped That baby stopped crying. That baby stopped crying. She is going crazy. And this man is looking at me, and he goes, how did that, what happened? So it was a great opportunity for me to talk to his very intellectual mind and ask him some very serious questions about the gospel. And I said, well, so let me just ask you the question about who you really think Jesus is. And is that okay? And he said, sure. And so I began to pose questions to his intellectual mind. And uh, then I began to preach the truth of the gospel, which is Christ in us. And, um, and he was just dumbfounded by it. And he said, he started writing it down. He said, I'm going to write that question down. I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about what you're saying to me before. And it was just incredible. You know, the truth of the gospel and not the gospel of salvation, not the gospel of religion, but the gospel that, that where the word and the spirit come together. Amen? And so when, when, when we landed, um, the blessing of having a really loud voice and being kind of like foghorn, leghorn everywhere you go is that people overhear you. And so as we landed... People from the back of the plane were in line, and they said, excuse me, I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying. Can you tell us some more about what you were saying? And so it was a tremendous opportunity to then preach the gospel to the plane. I'm telling you, I'm going to prophesy and tell you something. When you get on a plane, I want you to begin to look for assignments because I believe entire planes are about to be saved at the hand of the, of the, uh, the people God is raising up in the earth. Amen? Um, all right, so let's get back to Jesus. All right, so here's the thing I want to talk to you about. There have, have become, uh, uh, the church has become obsessed about being like the world instead of being like heaven, instead of being like the word. Um, there's this hyper grace thing going around that criticizes anybody that's going hard after God or anybody that's trying to adhere to a biblical standard. I've heard some of the most, and, and I get to hear things that you don't hear about leadership in the church. And it's so grieving to my heart that, I, I mean, it brings me to tears and it gives me such fear over these men and women that think God, don't, God doesn't see them. They think that they can compromise as, as the leaders in God's church, but it's that very compromise that is causing the people to compromise. Because if the leadership doesn't hold the line, and you know this even from war, if the leaders are running, what are the people in, in, the, in the pews going to do? They're going to do the very same thing. And so the standard has to be kept by the leadership of his church, or we're going to find ourselves in an Ezekiel 8 and 9 situation where he says to Ezekiel, listen, let me just show you behind the scenes what, what my priests are really doing and how they, he, he called the church at that time, or his, his leadership, he called them whores. That they had married another they had taken themselves and they had married the spirit of the age. And see, we think that it's just a bunch of idols. 
Like it was like because he talks about idols. God, beloved, I'm telling you that he is talking about a spirit of the age that takes his people captive and they begin to act like them because they've married it. I am so passionate about this. This is the thing that's been keeping me up at night. This is the thing that I've been, I've been going, oh God, let your fear fall on your church that we could come into our right minds again. You know, uh, Mallory was singing that song, Your Love is All That I Need, is all I need. I mean, that song is just phenomenal. Um, but a lot of us are, are singing the song, Your Love is All I Need, plus a lifestyle of shots of tequila and poking on a doobie. Your love's all I need. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I'm telling you, this isn't, this isn't, this is, I'm talking about all of us, but I'm talking about the leadership of his church. You see, there, as, as standard bearers, um, who have been called by God, what we're called to do is to change the status quo. If you look at the homosexual agenda and what's happening in our culture, you can, it'll tell you, it'll like, it's like a thermometer. You stick it right there in the culture and you go, well, we're not doing very good. I think we have a fever. Because there are agendas out there and there are standard bearers that, that are being used by the enemy to set a standard in our culture that is so incredibly demonic. And years ago, I read where uh, the whole homosexual same-sex thing, that that's where they were going to start with same-sex marriage. But what they're really after are the children. The whole transsexual thing was already planned and already in the pipeline of their language and their material before same-sex marriage was already approved. But, the, the, but what's right on the, on the wave behind that is, is, uh, is having sex with children. Because if we begin to open the door and have no standard, no biblical standard, then we'll, we'll, we'll open the door to anything. It'll come like a wave and it, our, our children will be taken asunder. <clears throat> but if you have to, you have to ask yourself if only 3% of them, there's only 3%, I think it's 5% now, 5% of our population that have been able to, to, to completely shift the culture. So that should give us great hope because if, if people who are that passionate about what they believe in, that it would cause them to act differently and to begin to shift culture, we know that God always uses a remnant and always leaves a remnant in the land. And every time there's been a transition biblically, he's always taken that, that 3%, that 1%, and he's transformed nations through that passionate one percenters. Standard bearers are forerunners. They go before the body of Christ during times of great transition. And they lead the body into the, the new wineskin. 
Many times these forerunners, these people that go before, they're 10, 20 years before, they get tremendously criticized because they're going against culture. They're going against culture. It's something that's, that, that, that they're not accustomed to. And so there's a lot of accusation. There's a lot of, of, of um, persecution for anybody that actually takes the standard that is in this book. I mean, I've seen it over and over and over. It, 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 even the people that are the body that come up and go, you know, I think leaders, you guys need to take a look at this. The leadership comes against the body. Standard bearers live lives that look radical, and their choices look radical. They don't compromise on who they are, and they don't compromise on whose they are. They are called to pe- they call the people up to a higher level of excellence. They call the people up and they don't do it through judging other people. See, that's where we got it wrong. We what we did is we said, "Oh, look, I'm called to this standard. Therefore, everybody's called to this standard. And if you don't live by my standard, then you've fallen below, so I'm going to judge you for not being enough." No, what we do is we go to the higher standard, we begin to live in the higher standard, produce fruit of that standard, and I'm telling you, that will cause people to go, I don't know what she's doing or what she's eating, but I need to have what she's having because she's having a great time and seeing great fruit. She has great passion. Her family is alive in love. Her her church is alive in love. And it's because... She's got this kind of life. And I wanted, I want what, how do you do what you do so that you don't get tied up in all of the things of the earth that, that cause you to stumble? Amen? Amen? So we have a vision for our lives that are the example that lead people into love and truth. We've got to start speaking the truth, but we can't speak the truth in judgment. We've got to speak the truth in love. And we've got to be able to challenge people in love to say, hey, you may want to take a look at this. You may want to trade up. You may want to, there's a standard that's a biblical standard. I, I, I really encourage you to pray about that and see if there's an opportunity that the Lord wants to give you to trade up on this. Set the bar low, you reach the bar. Set the bar high, you reach the bar. Either way, wherever you set the bar, you're going to reach the bar. If if my standard in this place was low, you would achieve that. Whatever standard I set, you're you're going to achieve it. You know, it's just like in the workplace. I would never bring a leader on without giving them a job description. What I do is I set the standard of accountability. I set the the standard of a job description for them. Here is the description of how you are going to function within this organization. It's just common sense, right? It's good business practices. Well, the Lord has given us a job description, and he said, "I, I want you to understand how to operate with me and how to operate in the world, and you are in the world, but you're not to be of the world. There are certain standards that, I, that I'm calling you up into, and these standards are going to benefit you tremendously. And they're going to bless you. 
and you're going to have tremendous fruit. So set the bar low, reach the bar. And this is what I tell my leaders with, with their teams. I said, if you set the bar here, that's what they're going to reach. But if you, if you actually say, listen, this is going to be amazing. It's excellent. It's actually going to require more of you. You're going to have to be here earlier. You're going to have to practice more. These are the standards that we're setting. But guess what? Guess how excellent we're going to be and how much you're going to love that level of excellence. So standard bearers are led by the Spirit and grounded in the Word. They, we have two sources by which we live. The Word of God grounds me. I am grounded in the Word. I have the Word written on my heart. But I am led by the Spirit. The sons of God are led by the spirits of God. The Spirit is directional. The Word is the thing that cements me and it keeps me in a safe place where I can continue to bear good fruit. And I want to talk to you about fruit versus gifts because the what that we get from God is from God. He's always going to say, all right, let me tell you what the what is. Here's what the what is. I've called you to ABC. That's the what. But the how belongs to us. And he watches the how to see how ready you are for the what. The how is our responsibility. The what is his. You see, he did this with Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son. When he was there and he was getting baptized, he was getting ordained, the word came. This is my beloved son. And so he began to tell him, here's my what. This is what you are. This is who you are. This is the what. And then he goes into the wilderness, but Jesus had to work out the how. How am I going to live? How did he live? How was he successful? He was successful every time the enemy came in with the word. He was successful with the word. And so the word is the thing that he continued to use as a sword to cut his way through the earth so that he would be successful in the what? And I've, I've seen just such a confusion in the body of Christ over gifts and fruit. Because we think because someone has gifts and flows in these tremendous gifts that we need to follow them and submit ourselves to them. Even if they have no fruit in their lives. Because it's the gift. But the gifts of God are irrevocable. And beloved, I was prophesying over people before I was saved. I didn't realize that's what it was. But I could read people. That's what I used to call it. I, they would come in and I could see who they were and their motivations and, who, and how, they, how they were made. You could be a gifted songwriter. You could be a gifted architect. You could be, I mean, look at the Beatles. I mean, these gifts, these gifts of these musicians that are in the world are from God. It was given to them at birth. So the, the what came to them, but how they used it was for good or for evil. Are you going to be a standard bearer for the world or are you going to be a standard bearer for, for the Lord? The people around you, when they look at your life, do they see Christ or do they see the world? 
I was, um, I've been beating this drum for a while, and I was um, encountering, uh, I encountered a, a, a person who was in the body of Christ whose um, life is just a disaster. Sleeping with women, um, stealing, money problems, out of relationship with this person's children. I want to be very careful, but, and I saw the power that he was walking in. And I'm like, that just is so hard to digest. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But, but here's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to judge it, you know. I didn't want to judge it. It says you can judge a tree by its fruit. You didn't say you could judge a tree by its gifts. And so I was thinking, I, I just want to pray for this person so that they can, so that God can move on them so they can begin to produce the fruit of righteousness so that that fruit comes up and the fruit and the gifts together can really be a beautiful picture of who God is. But, but beloved, don't you know that the fruit is what represents God? The gifts, again, are free, and it shows us the power of God, the supernatural power of God. But that's free. But the fruit comes at a cost. You know, you plant a fruit tree, it takes three years for it even to bloom and to give you any fruit. It takes time. The root system has to go down. You have to water it. You have to take care of it for, it, for us to begin to produce the fruit of righteousness. Because we're at the end of the age. Our, we're going to be married. We've got a, we've got a bridegroom. We're, we are image bearers. Well, the image of God is not the gifts, but the image of God is the fruit. The nature of God are the fruits of the Spirit. And you get that through asking God for the grace to live a life that is a standard that represents him and calls people to a higher standard. You know, Rick Joyner wrote a book. I don't know how many of you have read it. It's called The Final Quest. I read it like every year. It's the most phenomenal book that really talks about this generation, the last generation, and some of the, uh, the, the, the challenges that we're going to be facing and, the, and the, the plans that the enemy has provided for us. And so it's a, it's a great book to read because then you can kind of navigate it because you're like, oh, my gosh, this is true about the church. And one of the things that he, he said is that, he, is that all of these people are trying to get up to Mount Zion. We're all trying to go up the mountain. We're all trying to go up the mountain. And don't you know that the higher you go, the, the steeper the mountain is and the higher you go, the more difficult the elevation is because the air gets thinner. And so he was talking about um, being at this level called Galatians 2.20. And this Galatians was, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. So there's a point in our growth in the things of the Spirit where we get up to where we are very Spirit-led. But he said this level was a very, it was a very narrow place. And um, they were really, at this level, they were having great effects on the, the works of darkness. And, and he said at this level, it became increasingly difficult 
to carry this cumbersome and very heavy sword. And so many of the leaders who had gotten to that level began to leave the sword behind. They said, we're going to leave the sword at the lower level because we just can't, we can't be agile and move the way we need to move at this level. And Rick Joyner took his sword and he had the wisdom to take it and he, he um, dove it or, or put it in the ground and, um, and then he took his sash around his rope and he tied it around the sword. And he noticed that he was, so they're all taking arrows of love, faith, and hope and shooting it at the enemy and it was causing the enemy to come down. And, and he noticed that many of these guys were slipping off this level as they were doing warfare at that level. And so because they didn't have the word at that level, they had not taken the word with them and, 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 and had that sword of the spirit attached to them, they're actually falling down several levels. But what he did is he actually fell, but the word caught him because he, would, he had tied himself to the word of God. And I am telling you, this is such a beautiful picture of where I believe that the charismatic movement has gotten today. There are many of the leaders that had said, we've gotten so spiritual and we're so spirit-led that we don't need the word anymore. But beloved, I'm telling you, God is about to root out those that don't know the word and they are in for a serious demotion. The Lord has showed me this in a dream that I had where there are all of these little seedlings that are under the soil. And we all want to get up, and we all want to stick our head up over the soil. We want to get up, we want to get up, and it's like, oh God, how long, how long? And the Lord, as he walked over the soil, every place that his foot tread became light. And, and all of the seedlings were just reaching towards the light, and they were growing up into Christ. And he said, you can't come up yet. He said, I need to cull my field. And he began to go around and pull up all of these trees that were about three years old. And he began to pull them out. And he said, if you come up into this, it will destroy the, the promise that you have within you. Because this will corrupt what I have planned for my last day church. So I believe what the Lord is saying for us is that it's time to trade up and to ask the Lord. And we need to be careful about not getting into the law. You know, all the women's wearing skirts and covering your heads with handkerchiefs. And, but, it, but it's really time to, uh, we want to be free, but we want to be free in Christ. We want to be free not to offend those who are stumbling or, or who are hurting or struggle or whatever, but we need to be very careful. And that's the thing that the Lord told me when I started this. Because when I started this, guys, I have to tell you, I am the consummate party girl. I mean, 6th Street in Austin, where I went to school, has a poster of me as the one that could take the most shots and not pass out. You know, I mean, I mean, if there was a party, I was there all day long. I mean, I've done it all, and then some. It's a miracle I'm alive today. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, have a tired angel. 
<laughs> and when I started this, um, I really wasn't a very good leader. And so I just really have to repent to you about that. Because I had a fear of man, and I didn't want to call people up to a higher standard, even though I knew that that's what my heart was saying, because I was, um, I had a fear of man. And over time, the Lord just really began to put his heart, his finger on me, and he just said, you know, you don't want to be Eli. Do you? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And a fear of the Lord just really gripped my heart. And I just really repented and said, you know, no, I don't want to be Eli. I'm your girl. And I want to follow you in a way that brings glory to your name, that honors you without compromise. And so every day I say, God, search my heart and find if there's any wicked place in me. What is it that I can give up to go higher? And so my question to the Lord is not how much can I get away with and still be in your favor, but how much can I, can, of heaven can I have in order to have your favor? And so for me, there's been a lot of trading ups. He's put his finger on the way that I live, the choices that I make. And he said to me, just ask me. I'm a good father. I, when, you, when you go up, you're actually not going to feel a loss. But you're, when you trade up, you're going to feel a gain. Because his kingdom, in his kingdom, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, right? How much better when I was sitting there not drinking a beer with those two people on the plane, but bringing the passion and the zeal of the Lord and transforming lives. I felt so invigorated afterwards. I felt like I was drinking of heaven's wine and giving them a taste. I took what was water and I presented wine to these people. We really can, no matter what our call is or where our call is, we really can help people to trade up and to make a life in God look exceptional without all the trappings of the things of the world. So my encouragement to you is to go for it. How far, oh God, will you let me go? How high will you let me soar? And ask him the, that dangerous question, is there anything in my life that I need to trade up on? How do I drink? How do I live? And then just follow that. So I declare today that this house will be a standard bearer of grace to grow in love, to grow in the freedom of the Spirit, and to grow in the Word. And that I dedicate my life to God to be the very best leader that I can be in His strength and in my weakness, but to submit to His leadership 
fully so that we can all grow to the highest and the deepest and the greatest depths of his love. Amen? All right, so um, I know we went long today, and I love you guys. And I just want, can we all just stand, and I want to pray over us. Holy Spirit, I do, I just ask that... um, You would help us. You know, this kind of thing doesn't come in any other way other than by your grace. So would you pour out your grace to grow, your grace to be um, salty. You know how much I love salt. Would you salt our salt? Would you you light our light? Would we be the brightest, that each one of us would be a city set on a hill? Father, that no matter where you've called us, and I love to go to the dark places, man. I love, that's my favorite place to go, Lord. I want to be the light in the dark, but I, but I also want to shine so brightly in the light that, 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 that people see the brightness, that even the church would see that there's a place that is so radical, so radically in love, so radically dancing, so radically abandoned for your life, God, that they would say, I have to have what you have. Look at the fruit. Look at the look at the provision. Look at the wealth of love and freedom and and joy and peace that you walk in. God make us these people set us on fire so that the whole world would come out to see us. That God we wouldn't compromise in this hour but you would set us up like arrows that were shot into our culture to change this nation, God. Because of love, God, because you are worthy. The people wouldn't see your way as being a bad way, but see, people would see your way as being so phenomenal. Help us to create a pathway as forerunners for the city. Help us, God, to declare your word unabashedly and unashamedly, God, that this is who I am. I am a child of God. I am a daughter of the Most High. I live a holy life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.